The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Good morning and or afternoon, as the case might be, and welcome to America's Web Radio. And uh, it's time now for Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm with our host, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg. And uh, Philip's on the line with us. We always start this show and all of our military shows by taking just a brief moment to uh, remember our veterans and those that are on active duty with just a moment of silent prayer. So we'll be back right after this. Thank you for taking that moment and remembering all of those that have fought and our veterans and those that uh, keep us safe and are out there in the field today, deployed all over the world. And we also do one other thing to get us up and going, and that is my favorite, Cadence Calls. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I can do it. I can do it. You can do it. You can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, there we go with our cadence call. And good morning, Philip, or good afternoon, as the case might be. Hey, good afternoon, David. How are you? I'm doing great, and uh, you sound like you're chipper today. So, I in, am. I'm ready to go. That's good. You know, we're we're. I don't get the word's not celebrating. I guess the word is memorializing and remember uh, this week a year ago and the disastrous withdrawal from Afghanistan and you know if many more mistakes could have been made they would have had to calculate them I guess oh that was certainly an embarrassment I would say uh, yeah that that was the any uh, anyone who's a serious military advisor uh, who may have contributed to that was summarily ignored. Phil, I don't yeah. us- usually do this on the air, but can you turn your volume up just a little bit? Yeah, how's it now? It's a little bit better. Thank you, sir. Okay. So, uh, I would say any, anyone who was a, a military advisor to that operation was, uh, was who had any expertise whatsoever 
uh, must have been summarily ignored. Uh, you know, and and uh, let me ask: with your experience, when you're when you're planning an operation like that, or an operation like that is being planned, do they have backup and backup and backups of people looking at what's being planned and saying, well, no, we should come in from the east instead of the west, or we should do this, or we should do that instead of what's what's laying on the table? Um, well, I would say yes, unless the uh, decision was, um, was strictly political. And that's a scary thought, isn't it? Um, it is. Um, you know, the way our Constitution set up the, uh, the, the our military is a uh, is subordinate to uh, the civilian government. And um, however, uh, I would uh, you know the, also the civilian government is supposed to have uh, the best interests of our nation at heart. And not just seizing and maintaining power. And do you think they did? I don't think our civilian leadership uh, had any uh, had the best interests of our nation at heart. No, I do not believe that. You know the the unfortunate thing is. Um, it could happen again, not necessarily in a withdrawal, but who knows where or what. But uh, something as disastrous as that could happen again uh, with this administration. So uh, it's something to uh, not look forward to, but it's something to uh, think about. And hopefully uh, that will change in the very near future. And uh, we... Uh, we won't have to worry about those kind of decisions. Um, I assume at this point the Taliban basically owns Afghanistan. They seem to have free reign of the country, um, except for the occasional uh, hellfire missiles taken out of their leadership. That was a that that is a uh, brutal missile, and. As it was described to me, uh, it did a job. Well, um, I was uh, I was in the first Apache squadron in the army, which you know the, the Hellfire was developed specifically for the Apache attack helicopter, and uh, the <clears throat> the Hellfire was is an anti tank uh, by its origin, an anti tank weapon designed to uh, to fly, be guided by a laser uh, pointer, if you will. Uh, many of us have done or seen PowerPoint presentations. The pres- presenter uses, you know, a laser pointer to uh, indicate where we should be looking. And uh, the uh, the Hellfire um, just follows a, a laser point right to the target, and it can come from the aircraft. That uh, was uh, that fired the missile, or it can come from uh, another aircraft, or it can come from a uh, 
a ground laser designator uh, just has to be coordinated in, a, in the firing sequence and um, the uh, <clears throat> so the, the but the Hellfire missile would know is designed to go through a bunch of armor and uh and you know cause damage inside the, of the vehicle uh and what they found when they started using the hellfire missile uh, in iraq and afghanistan uh, after you know uh not desert storm but uh the, the operations in iraq and afghanistan following desert storm uh, they weren't really up against armor, and it was more like uh, bad actors in a white Toyota pickup truck. And uh, what they found was the the Hellfire missile would, would go. There were two guys sitting in the front seat of the of the, of the uh, <clears throat> pickup truck. You know that missile would go like right between them, and straight down, release all its energy and. In, into the earth below, uh, of course, disabling the truck, but leaving the inhabitants uh, relatively unscathed except for their underwear. <laughs> uh, and so, what they um, what they did, they modified the uh, the Hellfire missile so that it had what they call a blast sleeve around it that would cause the uh, energy from the uh, missile to radiate out instead of. Uh, you know, in the direction of travel, it would, it would, radi- it would radiate out uh, in a band um, when when detonated, and uh, that made it a very, very effective weapon. But it'll it'll take out just about any kind of tank that's out there on the battlefield today. Wow! And it's as I recall, it's not that large of a missile, is it? No, I think it's about four feet long, um, maybe about. Nine or ten inches in diameter, and you know most of that is rocket motor, and and packs a load. Yeah, um, and you know it has a seeker head on it to you know find the the laser spot, so it's, it uh, has that. It, it's a it's a fairly expensive uh, piece of ordnance. But uh, you know, they say when, when it absolutely has to be done, you know, just nothing else will do. That's right, and uh, we always want the best. If you're going in, you might as well have the best and know how to use it, and use it whenever you need to. And. Uh, I, I think the FTD florist, you know. Pardon me. When you care enough to send the very best. Yeah. And uh, that we do. That yeah. we do. It's a uh, it's a good system. And so uh, the uh, the Hellfire is uh, um, it's good weapon and uh, it's a good weapon both for uh, anti-tank and now anti-personnel as well that one uh, well I don't I I guess you don't even know what hit you really 
other than a red beam of light maybe and then it's too late well, I don't think the actual laser spot is visible to the, to the naked eye uh, I think it might be in, in a range that's uh, not visible well it sure wasn't visible to uh, the last person it was used on yeah, you may not you may not know it's coming, but once you get there, you'll know. <laughs> only for only for a split second. Yeah, you'll you'll have the rest of your life to figure out what to do. <laughs> well, hopefully, uh, we're going to clean that clean Afghanistan back up and. Uh, I'd like to see all of our troops out of there, and in fact, I'd like to see all of our troops out of the Middle East. Uh, my my son did send the message to you that it's still uh, you can still fry an egg on the sand in uh, Kuwait. Oh yeah, um, you know August has turned fairly mild here in, in Georgia, but um, not so in, in uh, that part of the world. You know, I guess it's it's different. Uh, I I think as when I when I get to talk to him and and he's in his uh, apartment and there's the uh, un unvented air conditioning behind him and I think you know he's like he said it's it's not that bad because he goes to an air conditioned office he has an air conditioned apartment and so forth so the heat never really gets to him like it does some folks but I I can't imagine what it was like 20, 30, 40 years ago when they didn't have the unvented uh, air conditioners and uh, it had to be tough oh yeah well you know of course I lived uh, would it be 30 years ago in a, in a tent in Saudi Arabia for uh six months and uh, we got there in September and the, the first couple months were, were pretty hard uh, by November it, it started taming down uh, it even got a little cool in December, January um, which you know <clears throat> that was really kind of perfect timing for, for the warfare that we fought because it was uh, it had cooled down wonderfully uh, so that we can do our jobs without too much uh, interference or concern about the heat and uh, you know our vehicles uh, didn't overheat and um, so it was uh, we, we, we worked out very well to be, to be uh, fighting in that in that time of year. Well, Phil, it, it's time to take our first break, and so that's what we're going to do. And we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Philip Forsberg, retired, I should say, right after this. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. Veteran-owned America's Web Radio endorses and supports Dr. Rich McCormick for Georgia's 6th District, U.S. House of Representatives. As a decorated Marine helicopter pilot, and now an emergency room doctor who served on the front lines against COVID-19, Dr. Rich McCormick has never been afraid of a fight. Whether it's communist China abroad, or the radical left in America, 
Rich knows the next fight facing America is to stop socialism. He's all in. Vote for Rich McCormick. Stacey Abrams says yes to defund the police as crime is on the rise in Georgia. This November, say no to Stacey Abrams and cast your vote for Brian Kemp. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And you're listening to Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And we always want to remind folks that uh, if you're a graduate, if you're a graduate uh, graduating from high school this year or college, and you haven't decided exactly what you want to do, take a look at the military. It's a it's a great life. You'll get to see the world. That's really the truth. And, uh, you know, it's just an opportunity. And when a human resource person is looking through your application and, and sees that you've, you are honorably discharged from whatever branch, that makes quite an impression on the human resource person. And, uh, the one thing that I always guarantee is that one of the branches has something that you want to do and easily can make a career out of it. So check into the military, and if you're a grandmother, grandfather, or parent listening, and you have a child that uh, is in your family that's looking for something to do after graduation, look no further than the military. So with that being said, it's back to Desert Shield and Desert Storm, and we were talking about the heat in uh, the Middle East this time of the year and then then it cools and let me ask Phil, once it cools down does it really get cool? Um, I can recall, you know, we had to wear uh, our, our jackets, I mean not, not cold weather stuff, but I had a flight jacket that I wore um, <clears throat> and I don't think I ever wore a, a field jacket, maybe a uh, Maybe I would put a, a long sleeve uh, undershirt under my uniform, but uh, we uh, it it, uh, it it got livable and uh, even a little chilly there. Um, but we had uh, uh, and then of course in I remember in uh, November and December it it, uh, it actually rained quite a bit. Uh, not so much that you could uh, grow rice or anything, but uh, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, it, you know that they they call it sand over there, and it looks like sand in the distance. When you get up close, um, it looks to me more like uh, cat box gravel. So the uh, <clears throat> the uh, the rain kind of made a mess over there. Let me ask: Do they do they grow any crops at all? Well, I can tell you, flying around there, uh, every once in a while, you'd see a, uh, a circle uh, of brilliant green, and uh, it would uh, it was a uh, circular irrigation. Uh, I don't know if they were pumping the water out of the ground or, or what, but uh, you know, bright green. Uh, perhaps they were growing alfalfa or something for 
for animal feed, or I, I don't know exactly what they were growing. Um, <clears throat> you know, the, it was quite humid there as well. Um, you know, you might think it would be like the Arizona desert. It, it's not. I mean, now, now this is Kuwait that you're talking about. desert in uh, the Arabian Peninsula was, uh, well, where we were along the coast, it was quite humid, and the, when the fogs would come in, uh, it was it was dense, dense fog. Hmm. You know, I, I guess folks, certainly including myself, never really think about that, and never been there, so would have no reason to necessarily but that's interesting to uh, hear about the fog and uh, and the humidity yep. yeah it was, uh, there was all sorts of discomforts there <laughs> and if if they didn't have one they'd make one up yeah but at least you know like we said there was a pretty girl behind every tree <laughs> it's just the problem of finding that doggone tree yeah that's sure exactly where it was. I, I'm sure there was some uh, aggressive uh, uh, PFC that probably made up and sold maps of where the local trees were. <laughs> I do recall we had a we had a palm tree down in our motor pool. That was the only one I recall on our little installation at all. Hmm. It wasn't exactly beautiful. It was kind of a pathetic-looking thing. What other vegetation do they have? And and again, are we talking about strictly Kuwait, or, or are we talking about another area? Uh, well, I you know, on the ground, I spent most of my time in Saudi Arabia, and uh, but flying around, what I noticed uh, was they would have. Uh, little areas where they'd have these uh, scrubby bushes. I don't know, look kind of like creosote bushes in Arizona to me. <laughs> uh, and I think the uh, the uh, itinerant uh, goat herders or, you know, whatever uh, folks that would go and, and feed their, their flocks in those areas. But uh, it, to me, it doesn't seem like a place uh they have much use for the term grazing hmm. and uh, <laughs> I can that I can imagine um, and who was taking care of the camels at that point I don't, I don't really know how you care for camels <laughs> uh, I did uh I did one day chase through a, a herd of camels with my airplane. Uh, I thought they were wild camels, and, and so I kind of scattered them flying uh, right through their old formation, and then uh, then I looked off to the side and I saw some fella in a bed sheet hanging onto one of them for dear life as they were running everywhere. So I decided to get out of there before they got my tail number. Uh, always something, huh? Oh, yeah. 
and uh, a new experience I'm sure almost daily with with one thing or the other um, and you know and this is something I, I doubt that you really got taught or took a class in before you went over there that uh, you know you do this you do that but you know, and and I know that uh, from my experience that the you, you have your courses in the natives and the and uh, to a degree some of their traditions that you're not supposed to uh, jump in the middle of. But uh, I guess you can't be you can't be totally taught everything about the culture or or what you're going to be dealing with. You know, they did. Uh they did have uh, some cross-cultural communication tips for us. Uh, you know, for instance, uh, to uh, if you were to sit in such a way as to show the soles of your feet to somebody in your uh, party, they would take great offense at that. Um, I'm not not exactly sure why. Um, the uh, there were certain gestures like the thumbs up gesture. We were told don't don't do that. That's fairly obscene. Them, um, uh, <clears throat> and then there's a, just a way to uh, tell somebody to you know back off and give me some space. Um, and uh, so. Uh, there, yeah, we did have a little bit, but you know, of course, we didn't interact very much with the locals. Um, they're they're fairly well, they're they're fairly sparse in population, especially where we were, and uh, you know, they sort of kept to themselves. They weren't they weren't the, you know, except for the ones in uniform, they weren't part of the fight, and uh, you know, flying a, a reconnaissance. Type aircraft, we were um, not really, uh, you know, it's, it's not the kind of thing where we interact with uh, with joint forces either. Uh, the only the only joint forces I remember interacting with were in the air. Like for instance, one day when a, a British tornado pilot uh, basically came to my rescue when uh, this is before the air war started the Iraqis were uh, the Iraqi uh, air force had you know some, uh, missiles that could get uh, uh, could you know go beyond uh, their uh, borders you know and they could have a fire and forget capability um, that was beyond their their borders and so uh, at one point I was being notified by AWACS that I was getting pretty much in range of a uh, of an Iraqi fighter and suddenly he turned off and um, shortly after that I <clears throat> found a uh, British tornado um, in my uh, Seven o'clock position, uh, flying, just taking, coming up to take a look at me. And it was apparent to me that this—he uh, was—he was flying what they call combat air patrol, 
and uh, it was apparent to me that he had been the reason the uh, <clears throat> that Iraqi fighter had, had broken his engagement with me which, uh, for which I was grateful <laughs> he didn't want to mess with the English huh well, you know, my weapon systems, thanks to uh, inter-service rivalries, uh, my weapon system on my airplane was relegated to a 38 caliber pistol and a survival knife. <laughs> so I didn't have much to go up against uh, an Iraqi flying a uh, Mirage, uh, F-1 Mirage fighter. So... Uh, I was very grateful that the, uh, the combat air patrol was doing their job, and they did it well, here as I can tell. <laughs> but you would have waved that knife at them and threatened them, right? Yeah, yeah. I could have really scowled at them or something. I'm not sure exactly what I was supposed to do. <laughs> Well, we're going to take our second break right quick, and we'll be back with Lieutenant Colonel Philip Forsberg, retired, after this. Start taking back our country from the liberal wokes by voting locally for conservative Republicans. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages, join me, Roger B., every Tuesday at 1400 hours right here on America's Web Radio for the Locked and Loaded Show. We will talk about guns, weapons, ammo, gun accessories, prepping, and so much more. So be sure to join us every Tuesday at 1400 or 2 p.m. for Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. On August 8th, 2022, in violation of the Fourth Amendment, the FBI performed a most egregious search of a former president's home. The Fourth Amendment of the U.S. Constitution provides that the right of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrants shall issue, but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or things to be seized. The Fourth Amendment originally enforced the notion that each man's home is his castle, secure from unreasonable searches and seizures of property by the government. We must take a stand and take back our country. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And you're right in the middle of listening to Remembering Desert Shield and Desert Storm. And... uh it is important, and we, we talk about this, and I like to bring it up on every show, is that if, um, and I, I just saw that they've put out a new uh, veteran's cap that uh, uh, veterans can purchase, and, uh, you know, with respect wear, obviously, and we always say if you're at a restaurant, a airport, wherever you might be, and you see a veteran that's wearing a baseball cap that says, I served on the USS whatever, or you just happen to see somebody in uniform, whatever the case might be, I guarantee you, you'll get out, get more out of it than you can imagine. If you go up and say, may I buy your lunch, may I buy you a cup of coffee, a drink, or whatever the case might be, but that person will appreciate it, be a uh, be it a woman or a man, and uh, they'll appreciate it, but you'll have so much better feeling about yourself and that 
you've done something for our country as they have done something for our country or doing something for our country and uh try it out in a in a airport and see if you don't feel that much better after you've done it so back to desert shield and desert storm what else can i tell you david um we entertained ourselves best we could um with uh didn't have video games but we did have parlor games that were you know sent to us by our loved ones but we when we didn't have a mission to do you know we would pass a little bit of time doing that some folks played cards uh i'll tell you that one of the most memorable and uh pleasant experiences i had during that that time was one day the uh the band for the 101st Airborne Division came to our uh, little containment area and uh, <clears throat> they put on a concert. Hmm. And I'll tell you, you know, I don't care what uh, what your taste in music might be, you would have, anybody, you know, with any sense at all would have enjoyed this concert. It uh, had a mix of different things. It had... Uh, you know, of course, some military type music and some uh, sort of jazz and uh, some singing and uh, some rock and roll. It just uh, it was just amazing the way that boosted morale um, and, and lifted folks up and let them know that life is not a complete drudgery. Speaking of shows, did you go to any of the big USO shows? No, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have time for that. Um, of course, you know, I was only there six months, um, but that was pretty much from the early part to when it was concluded. So I will, I'll make no apologies for having only been there six months. <laughs> but the uh, uh, my uh, down the road, maybe an hour or so from us in uh, Dahran. The uh, the Saudi uh, Air Force had a uh, well, what they called an officers' club, but it was a sort of a recreation center. It had a gym, uh, swimming pool, uh, sauna, steam room, showers. Uh, it was just uh, to me uh, a wonderful rest. But I got to use that probably two or three times while I was there. Um, and that—that—that that, that was a big morale boost as well. Go, go from one sauna into a building with a sauna, huh? Yeah. Well, you know, in places like that that have air conditioning, they really use it. So it, it can be quite cold in there. Uh, you walk from a building that's uh, freezing with air conditioning. You walk outside in your sunglasses. Uh, immediately fog up with your under instruments immediately. Well, you know, over the, since you've been back and uh, you're listening well, to them, start whoops, taking sorry. back our country from the. I'm sorry, I hit the wrong button, but that happens sometimes. Uh, since you've been back and, and talking to other folks, 
What, what, what is their impression of what you tell them about Saudi Arabia? Um, I don't know if uh, if they have uh, <clears throat> a real. I, I'm not sure what people's impressions are. Um, I uh, didn't like it. And uh, in fact, uh, when you when you walk into a building, uh, it's their uh, practice. If it's if it's a nice building, uh, like a hotel or something, they'll they'll perfume the lobby. And I, uh, you know, in the years since Desert Storm, I've been back to the Middle East a number of times, and whenever I've gone into like a hotel or something I smell that uh, that perfumed lobby it always kind of brings back little <clears throat> unhappy memories for me uh, I'm re- I really turned off by it you know that's amazing the uh, the power of smell isn't it that uh, you know, there there are certainly other odors in the world that if you've smelled them once, sort of like marijuana. If you've ever smelled it once, you'll know it in a heartbeat. If you ever smell it a second time, yeah. Uh, and they say that uh, smell uh, is very very closely tied to memory. It, it brings back memories faster than uh, than any of your other senses. Sort of the famous words in the Vietnam movie, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Smell of napalm. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> I don't. I don't think we used much napalm in, in Desert Storm. Uh, that was. Uh, really used uh, on things that could burn most of what we were dealing with was rock and sand and uh, and, and you didn't want to burn down that one tree right that's right you want to start a forest fire there yeah uh, a desert forest fire that that would be something to behold obviously but you know do you feel like since we've been doing this show and not not just because we're doing the show but what what's do you feel like people are remembering desert shield and desert storm or at least remembering that we had an engagement over there uh, I think people do uh, of course you know if you're 30 years old or older now or, or younger uh, 30 years or younger now it, it really didn't happen in your lifetime and uh, so you can be forgiven for not fully understanding it but, you know I was born in 1959 and uh, my understanding of the Korean War probably uh, lacking uh, I, I'm still learning things about um, you know the what, what went into that conflict what were the geopolitical uh, factors involved um, 
it, it, but it's good to to go back and and relook and reframe the uh, you know the circumstance of what happened. Um, you know, it, it's a lot easier now for us to coolly uh, analyze uh, the Vietnam War. You know, uh, what was it a good idea? Was it a bad idea? Uh, what what were the things behind it? And uh, so I think as time goes on, uh, and people's uh, emotions are and, and political affiliations are not as you know closely intertwined with it, then uh, I think a more objective look at uh, at what transpired. Will will come to uh, come about in, in uh, our thinking, and yeah, I mean it's only natural people are going to forget. Uh, you know, people have forgotten all sorts of things. Um, they've forgotten a lot of them have forgotten nine eleven. Uh, you know, <clears throat> in nineteen. Uh, 19- 16, I believe it was. There was a German saboteur attack on uh, an army ammunition plant in, in New York Harbor. It was actually in New Jersey called Black Tom Island. And uh, it was so devastating that uh, the explosion was heard in uh, Boston and the, uh, and the, the debris damaged the, uh, the pedestal of the uh, Statue of Liberty. Hmm. And uh, folks today don't know anything about Black Tom Island. And uh, if you go to the site, the, the island's been removed actually from New York Harbor. But if you if you go to the site in New Jersey where you pick up the ferry over to the Statue of Liberty, there's a little plaque. That's about all that's left in, in the memory of Black Tom Island. You know, you said something earlier that um, do you think we'll ever know? And we, I, I think we sort of do with Korea and uh, North Korea and China. But do you think we'll ever really know the? We'll ever be able to drill down and know the truth about Vietnam and all of the truth? I mean, it was a very complicated uh, thing. And, and, you know, I mean, the U.S. had over 500,000 troops there at the peak. So, um, you know, that's 500,000 different perspectives. And that's just the American side. So, um, you know, and, and who's, who's got the most... Uh, legitimate uh, perspective on it. I think it all kind of makes sense. It makes uh, the the perspective, it makes all the difference. Right? When people write, go about to write a book or a a, a story about um, uh, you know, something in history they usually are advancing 
point of view and are rarely uh, completely objective about it. Uh, and, you know, just to just to examine all the different perspectives would be uh, you'd be unable to uh, to really comprehend all, all the perspectives involved in just a simple event in history. So I think uh, you know. People have to make up their decisions for themselves. They should try to keep an open mind. They should try to understand events in uh, in perspective and the backgrounds of the uh, cultural, religious uh, backgrounds of of those involved. You know, uh, years ago I ran into a felony. He wanted to, you know, tell me that uh, that the war in Desert Storm was all about religion. And I said, uh, I really don't think so. I said, you know, the Iraqis were Islamists, and the, and, and the uh, and a lot of the folks fighting on our side, you know, followed Islam as well. So uh, I don't think it was about that. It was about somebody had, you know, brutalized, invaded, and, and stolen another country. And uh, we went there to make it right. Did they uh, agree with you finally, or? No, uh, it was not his intention to agree with me, so it didn't matter. Hmm. Um, but uh, you know, everybody's got a different perspective on the event, and uh, you know, I'm. A lot of the, like the Kuwaitis that came and helped us as linguists, uh, you know, I had a great deal of uh, affection for them and, and uh, sympathy for w- what they had suffered. Um, so, uh, you know, it, it's interesting. You, you get to learn about people and, and their cultures. How, how do you think history will remember Saddam Hussein? As a tyrant that he was, or as an ally of ours at one time? Well, you know, he was a pretty bad guy. Um, Kind of a Mussolini, if you will. Um, And he met a similar fate. Um, But, you know, at one time, he uh, he was an ally of ours. You know, and, it, and as the proverb goes, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. Um, he was uh, he was enemies with uh, the Ayatollah over in Iran, and uh, there was a point at which uh, my Apache unit was uh, was earmarked to go uh, and support Saddam uh, when the Iranians were. Uh, running around with uh, speedboats uh, attacking oil rigs and, and oil tankers in the uh, in the Arabian Gulf, and <clears throat> you know it wasn't it wasn't too many years after that that you know I was sent there to do battle against Saddam. So I'm glad I hadn't gone on the first one. Um, that that never did materialize. Let me ask, as our resident historian, 
Uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg with America's Web Radio. Um, do you think there's an irony there, or there's, uh, or can you explain it to me? Ho Chi Minh was an ally at one time. Yeah, Ho Chi Minh uh, was an interesting character. He uh, he actually worked uh, for a while washing dishes in a restaurant in New York City. Um, he had a he had an affinity for the U.S. and and he was a um, a fan of our Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. Um, you know, my perspective on Ho Chi Minh, he was a patriot for Vietnam first. And, um, you know, Vietnam had been colonized by the Chinese for a thousand years, then the French, then the Japanese, then the French again. And uh, the, they had run the, the Japanese and the French out, and um, then we showed up and uh, probably should have known better than to get involved in um, that. But, you know, understanding perspective and, and the time and context, um, uh, France had been desperately uh, devastated by war in uh two wars, the First and Second World Wars, and so we were, um, our priority was to rebuild uh, France first, and then, you know, uh, look to other areas of the world that might, might need our assistance, and so, um, <clears throat> We, you know, it was it was a, the idea was advanced that if we were to support independence in Vietnam, that it would uh, impoverish the French. Now, for the life of me, you know, we had, we had developed synthetic rubber during the Second World War, so there was no real need for us to uh, protect the Michelin Tire and Rubber Company's interests in uh, Vietnam, but uh, that's what we wound up doing and uh, you know probably retrospect we might have <clears throat> gone about it a different way interesting it, it, offhand off the top of your head do you know of any other situations like that where uh, an ally turned into an enemy and you can, you know, Japan wasn't an ally, and I was obviously an enemy. But yeah, in the American Revolution, uh, the French were pivotal in uh, in the uh, <clears throat> our war for independence against the against the British. But uh, uh, sometime after the war. Uh, we had a falling out. We actually had a very short, short-lived war, the no-name war, the XYZ affair um, against uh, against France. They had um, they had their revolution, and I suppose uh, our argument to them was, well, our debt <clears throat> was to the King of France since he cut his head off. We don't owe you anything, and um, so. That sort of came to blows, but it, uh, it, I think it blew over kind of uh, quickly. Um, 
Uh, well, of course, uh, we were allies with the Soviet Union in uh, the Second World War. Uh, was that a <clears throat> was that because we wanted to be uh, allies with them, or was it because once again the enemy of my enemy is my friend? Uh, you know, Hitler and uh, and Stalin had a uh, mutual assistance pact. Uh, going into that war and you know when the one double crossed the other then it, uh, it devolved into uh, you know the Soviet Union becoming our ally but then of course in later years after the war it, uh, it turned out to be less of an ally well, I, my hero Patton didn't think much of, of Russia well, yeah, of course, we understand that, you know, the, the, the job of, of the soldiers is to do the bidding of his government and not, uh, and not come up with <clears throat> um, their own agenda for things. True. And, of course, you know, you, you can feel really personal. You know, you, you can take a lot of things very personally uh, if you're, if it's your butt in the sand, um, you know, we're the, at the pointy end of the sword, if you will. Do you think that uh, there will ever be peace in the Middle East? Well, as a Christian, I would say there's going to be world peace, uh, but it won't be until the Prince of Peace comes. And that's a who knows when that is. I know I do, but it's my business. I make it my business to be uh, getting ready for that day. Well, I think we all should, but it's um, you know I don't know how you convince the person across the street, you know, but you have to try. And, um, well, I don't have to convince anybody. I just have to give them that. Yes, sir. You know, it's um, that will be a one marvelous day. Uh, yeah, for those with admittance to the kingdom, it will be wonderful. For those that are found in opposition, it will be terrible. Yes, sir. And, uh, you know, I... Well, who knows how the world is going or where it's going at this point. Uh, there's certainly enough corruption to go around many times. And uh, there are enough other things going on, I guess, that uh, one could look at it and, and question, but... Uh, you know, it's it's one of those things that nobody knows for sure, and uh, there's only only one that knows for sure, and uh, that will that will be uh, the time. And it's uh, as always, it's been a pleasure. 
talking about your experiences and uh, your time in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia and your perspective on what you saw and what was going on then and uh, it's going to it's going to be interesting to see you know I I keep thinking oil is going to continue to be a big player and I don't know I'm not sure how but uh, we've the world has thought, fought over sillier things than oil in the past and uh, you know it's uh, who knows who knows where it's going but uh, you know we're about to wind up Philip and I'm even keeping track of the time for a change (laughs) and I want to thank you for being on again today it's my pleasure, David. And as regards uh, petroleum, I uh, I cannot imagine in the next thousand years we'll get beyond our necessity for for petroleum. Um, and I don't know if the world has that long. Nor does anyone. But uh, you know, again, time will tell, and. Uh, I realize day in and day out how small a player I am in this world, and uh, the, those that are are much bigger. With that being said, we're going to have to wrap it up. And uh, Lieutenant Colonel Retired Philip Forsberg, you've done another wonderful job, and and I I love the ability to ask you historic questions and get the answers that you have. You're you're an incredible mind. Well. Thank you, sir. Uh, I, I didn't say that. <laughs> well, we're we're out of here, so we'll talk to you next week, sir. Thanks, David. Yes, Bye. sir. Bye. The views, opinions, and content of the show hosts and their guests appearing on America's Web Radio are their own and do not necessarily reflect those of the station. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.